This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's No One Ever podcast. I'm James Bird and this week I'm joined on Lancashire Day by Natalie Bromley to discuss Sunday's Arsenal game. Um, yet again, a disappointing defeat. Uh, it's in the same vein as last season where Arsenal managed to get late goals to, to see us off um, in games that maybe were more justified to be draws. Um, Natalie, what are your initial thoughts coming away from that game? Well, <laughs> um this week's podcast is going to have to be very carefully split into two things, I think. I think if the direct question is, how did you feel coming off that game? Then I think it's pretty clear to all of our listeners just exactly how I felt coming off that game. Have I calmed down more than 24 hours later? No, I haven't. Do I still have massive rage and just anger at standard of referees and inconsistency of decisions and the unfairness of this silly league that we're playing? Then yes. That said, if we ignore that for now and come on to talk about that later on and we say how if we maybe address that question as how did you feel as about the game as a whole, then very, very, very positive. I thought um, the 90 minute plus aside, I thought that was one of the strongest performances I've seen from a Burnley side in the Premier League. I thought we were absolutely outstanding. The first 45 minutes especially were just was just incredible that the, the standard of football was what I think we've not seen at that level. And, and we matched Arsenal. We didn't just hang on for, for 45 minutes. We matched them. And more than that, we played them off the park. We played by far the better football and um, we had fantastic passing and we really, really, really played very well. Um, second half was a little bit different, which I'm, I'm sure we'll go on to the reasons why soon. But I was just, my over my overwhelming feeling about the game on Sunday was pride. Um, I think if you look at um, the Arsenal game last season, where we almost thought we'd done enough to get a nil-nil draw then as well, only to be done by um, another controversial late winner. Uh, way more controversial than this one, I would add. But um, again, it, you know, we, we were harshly done by. There's a distinct difference between the two games over the two seasons, I think. Last season, we defended for our lives. We really set out to just have a nil-nil draw. We we had to soak up so much pressure for a full 90-odd minutes. And, um, and we very, very nearly got ourselves a bonus point. This season was very, very different. We weren't hanging on. We didn't fluke a result. There wasn't a feeling of, oh, we're never going to get a better chance to get a point at home against Arsenal. We fully deserved a point out of that game. And I just, I'm so proud of the boys. I think we're evolving into a very, very slick mid-table Premier League side. Yeah, I think it was a very bitter pill to swallow, the the, the ultimate result. Uh, we'll start at the top of the game. Seems, seems the most logical place to start. First half, I thought we looked um, incredible. First half, looked every bit aside who could match Arsenal. Um, you know, they didn't look as threatening as you'd maybe expect of a team with their quality. Um, we were really good on the ball. A lot of good movement. Um, you know, particularly a couple of, uh, a couple of players really standing out. Um, I thought, again, Jack Cork and Defoe were absolutely outstanding in the middle. Um, I may as well just start recording a little clip where I say that and we just can just edit it straight in every game and save myself the effort. Yeah, you but, should um, do that. Also... <laughs> Also, on top of that, I thought Robbie Brady and, and uh, JBG both had really good games uh, in the first half. And we had chances. And I think, um, looking back, it's a little bit disappointing that maybe we didn't didn't take some of them, don't you think, Natalie? 
Yeah, I think I would probably agree with that, to be honest. that That's one of the, I guess, persistent um, gripes we've had about this side. And it's really difficult as a fan because when you get better and better as a side, you want that progression to maybe go a little bit quicker than it has done. And, and Daich is always warning us about being patient as fans and seeing the evolution of this side and seeing the developments and the little steps that we make as a side and as a club each season. Whereas us as fans see the first little bit of success or we see 45 minutes of outstanding play and we suddenly want the world, we want to turn into Chelsea tomorrow or or the City side and start winning the league and qualifying for the for the Champions League. And that's the nature of being a fan. That That's what we all want. We're not patient, are we, as football fans? Um, so you, you kind of assign that logic to um, the first half of the, of the Arsenal game. And when you see us not only compete with, but actually outclass a, a previous top four side, obviously they're now a top six side, but they are still a top six side and, you know, previously qualified for the Champions League for the past 17 years. That's no easy feat. And and it just felt a little bit frustrating that we couldn't convert all of that possession and all of that fantastic football into um, a goal. Um, that said, that will come if we're playing any side, if we play that level of football, sorry, that we played on Sunday against any other side outside of the top six and we win that game comfortably. So sometimes you've just got to shrug and go, oh, well, you know, we, it's going to be very, very difficult to, to win against those sides for that reason. Um, as disappointing as I thought their midfield and forward line were, I actually thought Arsenal's defence were very good and Petracek seems to be back to his his brilliant self. So it was always going to be very, very difficult to score against them, especially when we were playing one man up front. Um, we've, we've spoken before about um, the potential for goals in a side and I think one of the debates we've had is to whether or not for all of the brilliant things he does, Ashley Barnes has enough goals in him. Um, I thought again on Sunday he was absolutely brilliant. Um, again, one of the better performances I've seen him play. But at the same breath, I didn't necessarily see that many goals. I don't think we had that many clear-cut chances to score from Barnes. Um so, yeah, I guess I agree with you in that sense, James. It is a bit more disappointed that we didn't get the chances. I did think we created a couple of ones, um, but mainly from set pieces as opposed to open play. Um, but that will come. You know, you've got to take the progression from these games. You've got to accept that. In the space of, of, of two seasons, we've gone from having to defend for our lives and, and clinging on for what would be an unheard of point last season to in the space of just one season, easily matching them and actually in one half bettering them and easily justifying a point well earned to the extent that most people didn't expect us to lose that game. Um, you never know, this time next year, we might even be able to beat them at Turf Moor and we'll be able to score two or three goals. Yeah, I think it's interesting you mentioned there, Arsenal's defence. Um, I thought first half particularly, you know, they had to do a lot of good work and, and they did manage to for the most part keepers at bay, but we still had opportunities. Um, I think second half, was a little bit of a different game. Um, they seemed to come out a, a bit more energised, and I think they showed a lot more of their quality, a lot more of their class, uh, and we had to do a lot more defending. But I think at the same time that the second half really managed to shine through. Why it's been so difficult for teams to to score against us defensively, we were really, really strong, and I think Tarkovsky and me were, you know, having sensational games. And in fact, it's only maybe. Um, you know, the slight mistake that allows uh, Ramsey to go down in the box and, and, and win the penalty that is a mark against Tarkovsky in the game. Uh, Bromers, you know, defensively, how did you think we did second half? Do you think it sort of really did prove um, why we've got the defensive record we have so far this season? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know um, Good Munson got the, the man of the match and we'll, we'll come on to talk about him shortly, but I, I actually think it was quite difficult and for... Maybe maybe three or four games in a trot now. It's been very, very hard on some players who've been missing out on Man of the Match awards because the whole team is performing so well. Our defence, again, were were absolutely brilliant. Um, I agree with you. I think Tarkovsky um, showed a little bit of naivety in the dying minutes. I, again, let's discuss that later on. But um, my defender of the game was, was Matt Lawton. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. He really got stuck in with some clearances. He 
knew exactly where he was. He, he very rarely caught out of position, if at all. In fact, I can't think of any time where he really struggled and, and got caught out. Um, but also as well, in the first half especially, his link-up play with Goodmanson was was exceptional. And he was playing some sort of two and three passing moves with Goodmanson and Defoe to try and get the attack going. And it, his, his passing was more akin to a midfielder than a defender. He was... He knew where they were and he, he's obviously got that relationship now on that right wing with those players um, to be able to help create the chances but then still get back quick enough to defend. So, yeah, that, that defence is is um, is playing really well and they never look troubled. It just goes to show how well they're performing that that penalty was the only way that Arsenal were going to score. They just didn't look like scoring in any other way. And actually, the annoying thing about the penalty is is that the cross that came in for the foul was actually a really crap cross um, and didn't was about three yards over Ramsey's head was going out. And again, they defended it really well. And it's just, it's, I, f- I really feel for them that it's just a lapse in concentration um, that's cost them th- that penalty. Um, I think I, I saw a, a summary of this on one of the, the news feeds basically was saying is that it's just the, the problem that you face in this league is that it's, I think this, I think the comment was it's a concentration game for 93 minutes and not 90. It's not enough to just concentrate for 90 minutes in this league. You've got to be prepared to concentrate until literally you're walking into the dressing room because you switch off for one minute, no matter what time of the game it is and and forwards will punish you one way or the other. Well, I think while you brought it up then we might as well jump in and, and talk about the penalty. Um, for me, I think it's one of those ones that you see given, and, and someone said to me on Twitter, I'll, I'll look up who it was and mention his name in a second, it's one that you only really see big teams get, but it is one that you do see given. Um, I think it's a little bit soft. Um, in fact, it's Ian Montgomery who said that to me. He said, only the big sides get those. You'll never see Swansea, Stoke, Bournemouth win one of those sort of penalties. And there's a fair point there. It's, it's the type of thing that has to happen in the game. If the defender doesn't have his you know, arms on the back of the, the, the attacker in that position. He's just never going to be close enough to challenge for the ball. Um, but what Ramsey's done there, and, you know, you see it a lot in modern football, is he's, he's felt that little bit of contact, that little push, and he's gone down. I think he's exaggerated it. I think it's not really in the spirit of the game, but it's the way football play is played these days. Um, I think it's soft, but at the same time, if it was at the other end, you know, we'd absolutely be screaming out for it, saying it's a clear-cut penalty. In fact, we had a similar one in the first half that I think only wasn't given because Barnes was offside. Um, so it's it's difficult. Uh, I think if it hadn't been for the games last season, if it hadn't been for Lee Mason's record, and we'll come on to Lee, Lee Mason in a minute, um, it would have been a, a lot easier to take than than it happened to than it was in the end. Um, Natalie. What were your feelings about the penalty, both at the moment, in the moment? Because at the time, I thought that it was less of a penalty than I do now, having seen it again. Uh, just because neither of them were challenging for the ball, it was like a classic off the ball tumble. Um, and then, obviously, after the game, once you'd, you'd had a chance to digest it and see it again. Uh, yeah, I, I think I would, I would definitely agree with that. At the time that the, the ball was, that, sorry, at the time that the penalty was given and the referee blowed. Um, his whistle for the foul, we were a little bit dumbfounded, really. We were all kind of in shock that it had happened again for the third game in a row. It was like, are you kidding me? I, I like We'd all been joking after about 80 minutes where we sit, just saying like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And when it actually did, it was just like, I can't believe that we're in this Groundhog Day again, that this is happening. So there was the initial shock that we'd been put in that position, which I think you you mentioned this a moment ago, James, which was only heightened by the fact that we were all very anti-Lee Mason to start off with, so it didn't help matters. And it felt very unfair. Uh, to then some confusion about, well, what was the, what was the foul for? Like nobody saw anything. Um, the 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 um sorry the ball had gone way 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 over their heads so we just couldn't see what on earth was going on and there was nobody on the floor from where we were sat so we just didn't know what was happening um I, I obviously I, I, you tend to reserve judgment on this until you've seen it I did see straight after the game the the slow motion video that was doing the rounds which to me looked like the softest penalty in the world um after seeing it again now um this is my take on it was in the strict letter of the law, was it a penalty? Yes. Should it be a penalty? No. And there's two very different things here. 
James Tarkovsky, and I mentioned this early on, has shown a little bit of naivety and you can't, you know, jump all over him for this because he's learning his trade and he's improving every single game and this will come with experience. In the Premier League at the moment, no matter who you are playing, if you touch another player in the box, there doesn't have to be a massive amount of pressure, there doesn't have to be any force and there doesn't have to be a shove. If you do so much as touch them, whether that be with your foot or with your hand, they will go down. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And James Tarkovsky should have known that. He came out after the game and said, I literally just put my hands on him. This rubbish from Arsene Wenger that Ramsey said he pushed him very, very hard. I've never heard so much nonsense in my life. And that's listening to 20 odd years of Wenger's rubbish that he usually comes out with. But it wasn't. It was the slightest of touches. And and Tarkovsky should have been alive to that, that in that dying minutes when that ball was going nowhere, he was naive to touch him because he was always going to go down. And the way that Lee Mason was performing, he had no choice but to give that penalty and we were never going to get away with it. So he's shown some naivety there. As I've mentioned before, in the rules of the game at the moment, any contact in the box is deemed to be a penalty, regardless of whether or not they go down or, or what it is. It, it, it's deemed to be contact now. And that law has developed over the time because of the consistency of players exaggerating penalties and just put, you know claiming all the time, that, oh, I was pushed, I was pushed, I was pushed. And you know basically winning those penalties. And the, the game's evolved in the Premier League that that has now become the norm for a penalty. So we can't sit here and now say, oh, it definitely wasn't a penalty, we've been robbed. It was. The biggest issue that I've got with it is whether or not it should be a penalty. And I've got two points to make on this. Number one, I think what I've just mentioned here about the evolution of the game, that that is now deemed to be a penalty, is a really sad state of affairs because we're getting further and further away from this being a contact sport and you just can't, it just, it's just ruining the game in some respects because a defender has got every right to challenge for a ball in the box as much as a forward has every right to try and challenge for a goal. And if you take away any ability for the defender to even touch them, it just makes their job so much harder. And it's just, it's spoiling the game for me as a spectacle. And I think that's the sad thing about it. The second point I want to make about whether it should be a penalty is just the blatant inconsistency with decisions at this level. We've said this before on the podcast and I will say it again. The standard of refereeing for what is arguably the best league in the world is shocking. This is something that the FA simply have to look at because there is a technical deficiency in a lot of these referees and there is a massive inconsistency. You tell, you, if you, somebody wants to come on to me and say that, say, Koscielny puts his hands on Ashley Barnes's back and Barnes goes down in front of the B-all end on the 91st minute in that game that we get that penalty. Absolute nonsense. We never get that penalty. There is a subconscious bias by referees towards the unfashionable clubs in the league. And I don't know why it is. I don't know where it's come from. But it, it just happens over and over and over again. And it just kills me to have to put up with it week in, week out because this league is hard enough to play in without having another mountain to climb in having to battle referees and a bias and unfairness in the game just because the Premier League and Sky TV and everybody, all of the the world's media need to have the glamorous top six multi-billion dollar sides, you know, creating amazing things week in, week after. You know, you've got the likes of Burnley's and your Stokes and your Huddersfield's and your West Brom's. Um, just every single week seem to be on the wrong side of that. If you're telling, on one breath, if you're telling me that any contact in the area, such as was on Ramsey, has to be a penalty, then why are we not seeing 10, 15 penalties a game? Because there are so many times where defenders will hold the hand or just pull a bit of a shirt at the bottom and the referee will go ahead and do his big dramatic no sign with his arms and run away. Well, which one is it? You know, it can't be that contact is a penalty when it suits the situation or it suits the side. We've got to start making some kind of distinction here as to exactly where we draw the line. Maybe we need to be more consistent with a penalty being given when it's a clear attack on goal, for example. You know, I don't I just I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but at the moment I'm just infuriated by the inconsistencies about it and the general unfairness of, of having to play in this league. Well, I think I'm sorry, us, that, that went a bit ranty, didn't it? I'm sorry. I think you brought us very nicely <laughs> onto the referee there, Natalie. It's almost like you've got the agenda in front of you. 
Ah, I see. This is seamless. James and I, anybody would think that we just did this off the cuff, James, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, Lee Mason, maybe not uh, the greatest performance of career. And I think what's been pointed out here is that he's got a record, I think, running back now 18 games, uh, referee in Arsenal, I think, over seven seasons. Is it five or seven seasons? Um, and Arsenal have not lost any of those games. Um, but I think if you actually go through the games and look at them, they're all games that broadly you'd expect Arsenal to to, to win. Uh, and maybe looking at how we've played so far this season, this could be the toughest, um, I think, out of the lot. Um, to me, that says that actually Lee Mason's not really trusted with, with a big game. Um, he's, he's only trusted to have Arsenal play a team, uh, you know, referee Arsenal playing a team that they should be beating. He's not, you know, being put in charge of an Arsenal Man United, an Arsenal Chelsea, an Arsenal Tottenham, you know, a big game where decisions really matter. Um, I just thought he was terribly, terribly inconsistent. Um, now, I'm making an assumption here. I don't, I, I don't know 100% that this is why uh, Defoe was booked. But after the uh, Goodmanson chance, which we'll come on to talk about when we talk about Goodmanson soon, um, it was should have been a, a Burnley ball. Uh, and Defoe, I think, maybe argued his case a little bit too strongly with the referee and he was booked for his trouble. Um, but during the rest of the game, uh, we saw countless Arsenal players uh, showing dissent to the referee, particularly in the second half, Sanchez, who I think had you know done his fair share in the first half and continued into the second half. And also Jack Wilshire in the second half, after he came on, uh, was almost scolding the referee at one point and he got a long talking to, but again, no booking. It's just the blatant inconsistency there that Defoe on the first, you know, the first sign of dissent, and obviously we don't know what exactly Defoe said. He's booked, whereas you can see consistent dissent from Arsenal players, and there's no booking. Um, I personally think it's it's absolutely amazing that we came out of that game with uh, two bookings for Burnley players and, and none for Arsenal players. I don't think it was a dirty game. I don't think the referee was unduly um, favouring Arsenal. In fact, I think he was abysmal for both teams. I thought he, he just lacked consistency, um, lacked any sort of sound application of the the rules of the game, and I think he actually distracted from the from the the, the football. Um, I think when the referee becomes the story, he, he's not doing his job properly, no matter you know what the situation. Um, Natalie, what did you think about how Lee Mason you know managed the game, and do you actually think there's a, a, a general problem here in the Premier League about the the standard of refereeing and a general inconsistency from game to game of what's a booking, what's not a booking? Uh, yeah, well, I would I would completely agree with everything that you said there, James. I think. Um... I mentioned in my, my slightly ranty section earlier on that um, I, I was incredibly frustrated with the standard of inconsistency. Um, and actually, I think I mentioned I'm just absolutely gobsmacked at just how bad um, the standard of refereeing is in this league. Compared, you know, considering that it's supposed to be the greatest league in the world, um, I don't, I don't have anything to add. I think you summarised Mason's performance particularly very well. It was. Um, it actually, it was quite interesting when you said, I hadn't really thought of it this way, when you said that he was consistently poor for, for both sides. And I think you're right there, actually. I think, um, you, you know, I, I only ever see things with claret tinted glasses. So I was probably just looking at all the decisions that went our way. Um, it's a funny one, really, because Lee Mason really hates Ashley Barnes as well. So I think this is another sign of a poor officiating. It's not just the application of the rules and the consistency in the play. I think the really poor referees tend to have um, biases that they carry on in other games. Now, obviously, Lee Mason's got a massive bee in his bonnet about Ashley Barnes, does not like him and will not give him anything ever. It's, you know, it, it's a really difficult um, thing to manage. But for him to have obviously had um, a difficult game with Barnes at some point where he's not liked his style of player, he's had to manage him. To me, if you're a profession in that, especially a sports person or a sports referee, you just you, you leave that at the end of the game, and you, the next time you play them, you don't go in with preconceived ideas, and you don't go in with a bias. To the you know you've got to evaluate every single challenge, even in the same game, on face value, and and that to me is just further evidence of his just incompetence. It's 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 just awful. We see it week in week out, and actually, 
one of the things that Dyke says to us all the time when he's trying to be diplomatic and not worry about these things and not cause any drama actually adds to this argument, I think, and really it benefits what I'm what we're talking about here. Dyke always says to us, um, you get some and you don't get some, and hopefully at the end of the season they even themselves out. But that's that's not the point. That shouldn't be the case. You shouldn't rely on two wrongs making a right. You should rely on there not being any wrongs at all throughout a season. Why should you think you get absolutely shafted with one result? Oh, well, we might get lucky another time. It's like, no. Do you know what? Just train your officials well. Get some proper officials in there and actually do a good job to start off with. And we see a lot of it on the the punditry and on the media, people saying, oh, you know, it's a tough game for referees. The game's really fast these days and, and you know, it's very tricky and the players are brilliant. That no, that's not a good enough excuse. We can't be sitting here saying that players, that the game is too good for referees, that players are too tricky for referees. We'll find a solution to that. Get referees that are younger, fitter, um, if, if indeed it's a fitness problem, or sharper or technically better, or get two referees in there. Why do we? Why are we still? If the game's now gone that fast and that tricky that one referee can't possibly be expected to make a right decision because it's not their fault, why are we still refereeing the best league in the world with one referee? Put two in there. You've got two linesmen. Put two referees, one in each half. You know, it's it's the richest league in the world. You can afford to a double amount of referees. It just, it's just. I'm sick of hearing the excuses for it, and it's about time that something was done about it because. It's just completely spoiling the game. Completely agree with uh, that that last bit there. Obviously, as uh, a few of our listeners may know, I'm a big ice hockey fan, and actually in the in the NHL, they have two referees and two linesmen on the ice at all times, and it's a you know much smaller playing surface, but it's you know one of the fastest games uh, that there is, and it shows that you know if you need two referees, you need two referees, and um, the the system can work. So it's not something. I've particularly thought about to be honest in the past but uh, you make a good point there that you know the league can obviously afford to have as many officials there as they want involved and I think over time we're going to see obviously more video technology come in uh, and maybe the addition of you know more officials along with that and I think it can only be a good thing for the game if the decisions start getting uh, more reliable and better as long as it doesn't um, overly affect the, the speed the game's played at because obviously it is important that, that the game flows and um, it, it doesn't get like some sports where the, the game can be stop-start because that's not the sort of action people are looking to come and be entertained by. Um, I think that's enough about Lee Mason and uh, his performance. I, I think it's one that hopefully he wants to forget, um, but judging by his, his prior record, maybe he's uh, just happy that that's a, a, a normal a normal appearance for him. Um, next thing I wanted to talk about was... Uh, Goodmanson's performance. He, he got the man of the match, and to me, it was the absolutely right decision. He he looked from uh, the first minute like he was really fired up for the game. Um, I think we saw maybe his best performance in a Burnley shirt so far. Uh, he looked good on the ball. He was looking to beat a man. Uh, he was getting balls in the box, and obviously he had that shot that was very well saved by Czech. And in fact, it might be the best save I've seen this season at the turf. Um, just tip it onto his post. Um, Natalie, what did you think about the way Gummerson played? Do you think he's he's really established himself now as one of the, you know, the first names on the team sheet every week? Absolutely, and I'd I'd raise some serious question marks if he wasn't. To be honest, I think I've I've actually been um, really pleased with his performances all season. I know there's been there was some in early season um, grumbles about some maybe loss of form as to why he was dropped and he, he preferred Scott Arfield instead. Um, I didn't personally see that, but you know everybody's everybody's interpretation of the game and, and a standard of play is different. Um, I just think that um, having a good fit, good Munson on that's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? Um, a good good Munson <laughs> on the wing just creates opportunities that we wouldn't necessarily have. And actually, I think what helped on Sunday as well is I thought Brady had one of his best games as well. I thought he was he was playing really well and, and he was tricky. So we had two very quick, very competent wingers that were really, really helping to just create some chances that we've may, maybe been struggling with on, on, pre, on recent years. He's, he's just turning into B for me, an absolute steal. What do we pay for? Do we want to pay a million for him? I can't remember now. It wasn't much, was it? I'm not, I'm not sure, to be honest. I know it was... It was either one or three, wasn't amount. it? It wasn't very much, yeah. But to, to get a, a Premier League quality, it's just little gems like that that, that Deitch keeps keeps bringing up. Um, 
I just he's just brilliant. I just think he's he's just settled in really well. And and as I mentioned earlier on, that that trio between Defoe when he drifts onto the right and Matt Lawton and Gov Munson, they're just the way they play the ball between themselves. It was like they were psychic on Sunday. They knew exactly where the three of them were going to be and the balls were there before even they were. And and for them to make those passes and to create those chances that were completely outsmarting some world-class Arsenal defenders was just a joy to watch. I loved it. I, I thought he was exceptional and um, it's good to see him uh, playing so well. And I think actually there was a couple of challenges in there that were a little bit uh, robust on him. So it was good to see him come out of the game injury-free considering the season he had last year with uh, and the bad luck there with with injuries. Um, I think just the last thing to talk about from the Arsenal game is uh, the substitution. It, it seemed a strange one to bring Defoe off, who I thought was having a really good game, uh, and bring Wood on. And I think the end of the day it didn't quite work out as planned we didn't really manage to get Wood involved in the game going forward or Barnes and maybe it would have been easier to make a straight switch up front um Natalie what did you think it was a interesting move from Dash to, to make that change yeah I would agree with that it, it was I was I was hoping for the, the change to start off with and it was one I was crying out for from about the 50 55 minute mark I thought, again, I thought it was really harsh on Barnes because I thought he had a very, very good game, but we just didn't look like scoring. And because we played so well in the first half, we were all wanting us to go on and get the win, not settle for a point. It wasn't it wasn't enough for us in this evolved side and this, you know, this really good performance to just have a nil-nil draw. I really wanted them to push on and get the win. Um, and it felt really harsh taking Barnes off, but it felt to me like we had to do a straight swap and bring Wood on on the basis that Wood can do the stuff that Barnes does just as well, but then also has that extra class and that strength um, and a better eye, maybe a more clinical eye for goal. So when he made the substitution, I saw Wood warming up. I was really pleased and I expected that that was going to be the um, the swap. When he brought Wood on and took DeFore off, which I'm going to assume is because DeFore was on that yellow card, which controversially was given before, and DeFore is just way, way, way too important a player to risk um, a tired, clumsy challenge that he gets a second yellow for and, and ends up missing a game. So that's the only reason why I consume that. I assume, sorry, that happened. And he switched to four four two. Um, I was, I was surprised really, but I was also at the time quite happy because I thought oh, he's going for it here. This is like unheard of for Diet. He's going for it. He's putting two big strikers on, and he, he can he can sense the victory here. This is brilliant. The problem was, is it just didn't really execute the way that I think he thought it was going to do. Um, the, the gap in midfield very much played into Arsenal's hands and they seemed to be uh, much happier with a greater control of that midfield situation that they'd had in the first half and for most of the second half. And actually, it, what happened was is Wood didn't really manage. To, I think he had one opportunity where he took a ball down really well and, and uh, Barnes so nearly managed to get a goal. Uh, but I don't think he maybe had the impact that, that Dyche thought he was going to have. Um, as a result, I think we then started defending far too deep. Now, we have been guilty of this in the past. We've got to stop um, defending and dropping so deep in the dying 10 minutes of a game when we've either got a win to protect or a draw to protect against one of the bigger sides because it just invites so much pressure. And I felt like the substitution and the changing formation did that. It allowed. Um, Sanchez especially seemed to have all the space in the world. And whereas I think Cork did a very good job of marking him when it was a 4-5-1, um, he just had, you know, Cork had then too much to do um, to try in a four-man midfield. And Sanchez had so much more space and it just then meant we had to drop further back to defend and we invited pressure and then inevitably a silly mistake that's cost us the game in the end. Um, I, it's one of those, you, you, you Deitch has said himself, him himself as a manager is learning this league. I think as a general point, he's making far smarter substitutions than he did last year. He's using his squad well. His tactics are way better than he was last year. And that goes to show we're sitting 17th place in the league with 22... Uh, 17th place, that's not quite right, is it? 7th place in the league with 22 points already. So he's obviously doing it right. But he will learn from that. And I think he'll realise that that wasn't quite what he wanted or maybe it wasn't executed as well as he would have wanted. But then the next time it'll be better. So it's it's hard to criticise it, but I think I think we all realise that it probably wasn't what we were hoping to do and may very well have just cost us that final three minutes of discipline that we needed at the end just to get the result out. 
I think you were slipping back into last season's mentality there, Bromley saying. Uh, why is that? Well, that's, that's more where you'd expect us to have been at some point near the end of our season. So oh, the 17th. <laughs> momentarily yeah, sat back into the that. comforts of, of the <laughs> Um The way I'd put what the, the, the substitute sort of caused later on was um, Burnley's defensive spiral of death that, that we saw quite a bit last season. I don't think we have seen until uh, this week, this season, where we sort of uh, get on the back foot. We're having a pressure applied onto us by our opposition and then we sort of allow the pressure to keep coming. Uh, clear the ball, but don't get back out, don't win the ball back, and the pressure comes back again. And it's been a while since we've seen that this season, and um, I think that's something that Dash will probably be taking away after the game and talking to the players about and trying to make it so that hopefully next time that, that we don't allow that to happen again because obviously, as they said, the best form of defence is attack. And um, maybe if we'd been able to get a foot on the ball a little bit better late in the game, um, we might have been able to prevent the chance that eventually led to the penalty decision. And I think you, you do lose part of that with taking four off, obviously, someone with his class on the ball, uh, you're always going to miss. Um, but I think on the whole, uh, it was a reasonably positive game. The first half, obviously, I thought we we looked the better side for me. Uh, the passing, the moving, I think was a, a real um, display to, to discourage these sort of lazy opinions that say we're, we're only a long ball side. I think, yes, at times the football was direct, uh, not necessarily long ball, as I said last week, but we showed that we can pass, we can move, that players are, are looking and they're clever. I think a lot of the overlaps from Stephen Ward in particular were, were really good, really neat bits of football. Um, and I think we showed that the class that we have got in our squad and that being seventh isn't a fluke at all. Um, and there was an article actually this this weekend in the New York Times that that talked about Burnley's league position uh, and basically how football stats at the moment aren't really advanced enough to capture uh, the nuances of of the way we play. Um, and it's the same in I think a lot of sports that the stats are basically uh, very attack based. Um, so it's chances, it's um, you know quality of chances clear goal-scoring opportunities, etc. And it doesn't really take into account the work that we do, which is we limit teams to to low-quality opportunities. Yes, we've conceded the most shots in the league, uh, but we've actually conceded the the lowest quality of shots in the league, which is down to the way we defend. And our players don't allow uh, the opposition to get into to good goal-scoring opportunities. We don't allow teams in behind us. Uh, we keep people in front of us. We keep them on the weaker foot when we can. And we largely limit teams to, to long distance efforts. And I think um, you know, on Saturday on sorry, Sunday we we gave another example of just how good we are at that. And although the you know, the game ended in a narrow defeat, I think it really did show us as a, a top quality side and a side who ultimately for me, I think, this season belong in the top half of the Premier League and I think that's where we'll finish. Um so to move on from the Arsenal game, obviously we've got some tough games coming up, coming thick and fast now. Um, Bournemouth on Wednesday and firstly what I want to point out is the, the, the scheduling for this game um, I think there was an article came out earlier in the season about the Football League deliberately scheduling long distance games for midweeks because if they put if they put local derbies at weekends they get bigger attendances which I think is just so short-sighted uh, and I think it's probably one of those uh, examples of someone making a statistic to prove their own point Yes, you get a bigger attendance if you have a derby on the weekend, but you get the same attendance probably if you had that derby in a, a midweek night because it's a big game. People want to be there. If you're talking about Burnley away to Bournemouth, you'll get a much better attendance from Burnley fans on a Saturday than you will on a Wednesday because it's a very, very long way to go. Uh, Natalie, what do you think about the, the scheduling of the game? And actually, what do you think the outcome of the game is going to be? Bournemouth have been shaky for the most part this season, though they've got a little bit of a resurgence on at the moment. Um, it's going to be a tough one all round because you know there's not going to be a lot of our fans there. I don't think. Well, I think I think first and foremost the scheduling of the game is unfortunate. I'm going to be diplomatic when I say that. I, I agree with you um, with, with uh, what we were talking about earlier on. You want to have your you want to have you want to be able to see every single game that you possibly can, and there's going to be so few fans going to be able to make the trip down to Bournemouth. 
um, uh, midweek that we're going to have such a poor attendance there and only those who have got the ability to take time off work and the spare holidays to do it are going to be able to get down there. Now, the, the, the counter argument to that is, of course, well, any time you go to Bournemouth is always going to be a long trip. Yeah, of course it is. We know that. But you've got better chance on a Saturday when most people don't have to work on a Saturday and they can get home late at night because they've got Sunday to recover. So from that perspective, I've personally never been down to, to Bournemouth either and I would have really liked to have gone on Wednesday, but I just can't, at this time of year as well, I just can't get the time of work to take, um, to, sorry, to get all the way down to Bournemouth. So the scheduling's annoying. Um, I assume that it wasn't deliberate, but who knows? Um what do I think about the chances of the game? Up until up until Saturday, no, we didn't play on Saturday, Bromley. Where, where did we play? Sunday. <laughs> we played on Sunday. I'm just going to get myself back into under control, listeners. Um, up until the game on Sunday, I had a lot of confidence going into the Bournemouth game. They've been really, really poor this season. Um, I don't think Jermaine Defoe's had the impact that maybe they hoped they had. Uh, sorry, he, they hoped he was going to have. And they've gone back to their old habits, the the standard Eddie Howe um, tactic of conceding a ridiculous amount of goals every single game. That said, um, I, I guess I, I'm nervous about the impact of the late winner against Arsenal is going to have had on the squad, particularly on the confidence of Tarkovsky. You would think that um, Darch would do enough to knock it out of them and just give them the, the the boost they need to go there and win. But there's just not that long between the game um, and so the two games. So I'm just a li- that's a plane on the back of my mind a little bit. Um, and secondly, it's one of the, the ways to beat um, Bournemouth is just to score lots of goals against them because they are very vulnerable in defence. But we aren't a side that has a particularly large amount of goals in us. Um, on the flip side, the, the, the Bournemouth way is to score more goals than they concede. You know, they, they can easily concede three goals a game, but they'll just score four. If they score four against us, and we're not going to, you know, obviously we we haven't got five goals in us to, to win. I know that sounds like an extreme example, but we tend to win games by one goal, two goal at the very most. So I think defensively we're going to have our work cut out on us because they are attacking players they haven't been scoring much recently because I think like I said Defoe's not been playing very well and their other striker whose name forgive me has escaped me right now um has stopped scoring as well so it, it for me I feel like at the moment it's going to be either be a nil nil draw or it's going to be a one nil win to the Clarets I can't see any other um any other result I certainly don't think we're going to go there and get beaten four or five nil or anything like that I just we don't have that in us even even after a disappointing result on Sunday this this side's very drilled very disciplined way more disciplined I think than an Eddie Howe side is and um, I'm feeling confident strangely I'm, like I said I'm not 100% confident because I've just got these niggling doubts in my mind after Sunday's game and about the ability to score the goals that we might need um, but no on the whole I don't I don't think we've got we've just got we've just completely outclassed a top six side on Sunday at home and we're playing better on the road. So what we've we've arguably, apart from City, we've arguably not got anybody to fear in this league this season. So I'm I look forward to every single game these days and I genuinely think we can win every single game. It's um it's a very strange feeling. I don't really know what's happened to us. It's a little bit different compared to past Premier League seasons, particularly away from home. I can tell you that you didn't miss uh, much by not going to the Vitality Stadium last season. Uh, obviously I cycled down and uh, it wasn't worth the three days worth of cycling, put it that way. Um, interesting that you mentioned that Bournemouth are a team that tend to outscore uh, their opposition. I think this season in the Premier League, they've really struggled actually to score goals and um, they've only scored more than two on, on one yeah. occasion in the That's league. The and that was, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was the other weekend's Huddersfield where it looked like they were going to have a bit of a resurgence. But then this weekend, they, they drew 0-0 against Swansea, a team who were really struggling. So um, it's been a bit of an interesting season so far for Bournemouth. They've definitely been... Um, up and down and, and maybe a little bit more down than up. So it's an opportunity, I think, for us to to get back on track, put the disappointment of the weekend behind us um, and, and get another three points away from home, which is something that last season, I think we were looking at games going, oh, this is the one, this is the one. Whereas this season, we're going, this is another one where we can add to our, our, our total, which I think is a, a nice feeling. Um, we're following up that, that game with, as I said, thick and fast with Leicester at the weekend on Saturday. Um, Leicester, an interesting team, I think, to go to. Um, obviously, winners of the league uh, as a big surprise a few years ago. 
But they they now very much, uh, I think, a side that's probably going to be comfortable in the mid table. But it's still a team that I think provide plenty of opportunities for us to to struggle against. They're a team obviously we played a lot um, in our time in the championship before we came up uh, alongside them, and they they're a team that I think it's been a for a little while it was almost like Middlesbrough a little bit of a mini rivalry. Uh, that sort of developed uh, in, in recent times. Um, they've started the season, um, I think, unspectacularly. They're, they're, they're not one of the teams that you're saying, oh, they're, they're really poor, but also they've, they've they've not lit the league on fire. Um, but they've been you know, steady for the most part. I think they've been beaten by teams you maybe expect them to get beaten by, and, uh, and they've, they've won against some of the teams you expect them to beat. I think there's only one or two results, if you, if you look in there, that are... Uh, a major surprise um, for for a team like them in the in the middle of the league now. Um, so, Natalie, what do you think about the, the the prospects of going to to the King Power Stadium uh, on Saturday? Similar to the Bournemouth game, to be honest. I think my overriding feeling is that we shouldn't be afraid of any side this season, just because of number one, we've we've managed to completely nail our away form, and secondly. We've just got a really well-performing side that is a joy to watch at the moment. Um, I think maybe Leicester's a slightly trickier challenge than Bournemouth. Um, although, you know, Leicester haven't, you know, completely dazzled this season, have they? They've not been um, completely brilliant. They've been, you know, they've done well and I don't expect them to be anywhere near relegation at the bottom, but they have got, you know, they've maybe lost a little bit of that bravado and that spark that they had when they won the league um, that sounds like a really obvious thing to say doesn't it but <laughs> they don't look like look like winning the league this year um, I, I just think I think maybe I think maybe Leicester are maybe slightly more disciplined a bit better drilled than maybe Bournemouth are and will be harder to score against the King Power's a very 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 tough um, stadium to go to it's a very it's a large stadium. Their fans are fantastic. They come out week in, week out, and they're very vocal. So I think it will be. I think. I think if I'm going to rate the two, I think Leicester away will be be far tougher than Bournemouth away. But I don't like. I just said before, I don't fear anybody in this league anymore. And if we can just go and and, and keep our game plan, there's no reason why we can't go um, and get a point. I think I'd be much happier with a point away at Leicester than I would be at, at Bournemouth. I think if we got a point at Bournemouth, whilst you can't really be greedy. I think I would prefer, I'd be aiming to get three points from Bournemouth, but Leicester, I think if we managed to get a point there, either a nil-nil or a score draw, I'd be absolutely delighted with that. Well, it, interestingly, having said uh, things, it's interesting how your, percep- your sort of perception of, of what you've already decided um, about a particular team influences what you say, because I've, I've just looked at the table and Leicester are actually level on points with Bournemouth. Um, no way, are they? And have won, won less games. So I think that says a lot wow, about how yeah. perception is very things. different, isn't it? Um, Gosh. But Leicester are 12th and, and Bournemouth are 13th, uh, which, as I say, in Leicester are probably about what you expect, mid-table. Yeah. And I think it's maybe because Bournemouth really struggled in the early stages, didn't they? They had quite a few games where they couldn't win and they've obviously picked up some points since then. But you tend to, because of the excitement of the start of the season, because they performed really badly at the beginning, you tend to have a bit of a hangover from that, don't you? And you, you struggle to shrug off that that those early season perce- perceptions. Yeah, I, I think it is some of the individual games they've had as well. As I said, Leicester have largely... Um, won games you thought they'd win and, and lost games you thought they'd lose and drawn games that you thought they'd draw. Um, I think they've been very just mid-table form and I think that's where they'll probably stick around for, for most of the season where obviously Bournemouth had that, that poor start that did have them near the bottom um, but they've managed to, to rebound. Um, that's pretty much all we've got time for this week. So the, the last thing I'm going to ask you, Nat- Natalie, before I just wrap up with a few little bits of housekeeping is... Um, Six points on offer before we, we next record a podcast. Um, how many points are you expecting? Two. I think we'll get two draws. I'd, oh, how am I? I'm expecting us to beat Bournemouth. No, I'm going to be positive. Four. Beat Bournemouth, draw against Leicester. But if we get two, I'll be delighted. That, Is that a that cop-out? Indecision. <laughs> that indecision. <laughs> I do this every week. 
Do you remember back in the days when we used to do the predictions league and every single week I'd just make about four different <laughs> options before I decided on one? But yeah, no, I think I'm, I'm expecting us to get um, four. No, I, I, yeah, four points. Four points. Right, well, I'm going to be the optimist in, in the on the podcast. So I'm going to go for six. I think we'll get two wins. Uh, wow, and that's all James. <laughs> Ball going big, going big. Um, and that's all we've got time for really this week on the podcast. Um, just a few little notes to to, to finish. Um, firstly, thanks to anyone who went to our competition last week to win uh, Tim Crouch's book um, from the Orient to the Emirates. I think I've got the title right there. It's along those lines. But um, the, as I mentioned last week, um, there's a signing event coming up this week at the Club Superstore on the 30th of November between 6 and 8 p.m. Uh, Frank Casper, Paul Fletcher, Colin Waldron and Jim Thompson are going to be there uh, with Tim and Dave Thomas uh, signing both of their books. So that's Dave Thomas's uh, Mud Sweat and Shears, as well as Tim's new book. Um, so it's a great opportunity maybe to pick up a, a Christmas present for for a loved one who liked uh, the, the teams that those four legends played in. Um, and most importantly, any funds raised from Tim's book are going to go to Prostate Cancer UK uh, in recognition of, of what Barry Kill has been uh, doing with his prostate cancer appeal so it's a really great uh, great way to support um i think a you know charity into a, a, a disease that still kills far too many men in this country um and it's a, a good opportunity to to support that and also uh finish some of your christmas shopping at the same time and get it done early get it out of the way um so that's the book sign at the turf Moor. if you're interested in going down to that um that's the end of the podcast for this week Thanks to, to Natalie for joining me. Thanks for Adam uh, editing it. Uh, I've been James Bird. This has been the Known and Ever podcast. Thank you and goodbye. This time last year. We were undone by two incredibly sloppy goals where defence just switched off. Um, and you just can't afford to gift sides like Manchester City goals like that you're not going to get anything out of games in that league so a frustrating one you know there's there's so many positives to take from the game but there's also so many you know a few negatives as well so yeah a bit frustrated it's a hard one to, to assess really Away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for McDonald's maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.